Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, February 9th, and we're talking about the perks of being in the in-crowd. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com tech specialist Evan New on the phone. Evan, what's going on? Not much. Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Uh, Listeners might notice there's a slightly different intro there. I almost tripped up over it as I was going through. Uh, I did not say Skype. We're trying out a new service today. Um, One of our listeners, Patrick Bafuma, actually suggested it. So, if things sound good, listeners, big thanks to Patrick. If not, we will continue to try in our ongoing pursuit to give you audio perfection by way of Austin Morgan. (laughs) But uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to just hear you better, frankly, Evan. Um, Hope it sounds better. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be great. Um, So today we are talking about what it takes to be included in a major index and why it's important. Evan, everyone kind of has their own take on this, but if you ask me, the S and P 500 is the definitive gauge for what's going on in the overall U.S. stock market. I am not a Dow Jones guy. Yeah, I I hate the Dow. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) I know that's kind of a strong language for stock market index. <laughs> um, but I just think it's really, um, I think people pay too much attention to it and it doesn't really, it's not very representative. It's, I don't know, like methodology of being price weighted. So I, I typically ignore it, even though like, obviously the, the rest of the financial media always blasts headlines when the Dow reaches this milestone or that milestone. But I think it's a pretty Pretty dumb index, frankly. And I will say, even here at the Fool and Fool.com, we are guilty of writing those headlines talking about the Dow hitting certain milestones. <laughs> so, so it's worth noting. Um, Evan, you mentioned price weighted. Why don't we talk about the difference? The main difference, in my view, at least, between the Dow and the S and P price weighted versus market cap weighted indices. Well, yeah. So the the Dow is price weighted. So each stock in there, it's weighted based on its individual share price. But as most investors know, individual share prices are kind of arbitrary, um, especially compared to like a, a company's overall market cap, which gives you a better idea of how big the total company is. And you know the number of shares that they have determines the individual share price. Then that's so it's kind of arbitrary. But so I, I think it's really silly to to calculate an index based on price. But I mean the Dow is at this point almost 100 years older. It might might be over 100 years older, but. Um, and there's only 30 stocks in there, which also doesn't really give you a good representative, you know, idea of the overall market. It's just 30 big companies, price weighted, and I mean, over time, there's this multiplier that goes in there that um, helps them maintain consistency when they move um, stocks in and out of it. That you change the composition of it, and that just gets, it's just it gets really convoluted. But my biggest issue is the the price weighting and the fact that it's only 30 companies. Yeah, and to kind of give some context on how that price weighting plays out, Apple is the seventh largest component of the Dow of those 30 companies, despite the fact that it has a larger market cap than the top four weighted companies in the index combined. And so you think about the influence that it has, and and really what these indices are intended to do is be a barometer of what's going on in the stock market in terms of value, and they're also you know a barometer of kind of what's generally going on in the economy. 
when big companies do well, they tend to have an outsized impact on the economy. And I think that the S&P 500 does a better job of capturing that. Also, the fact that there are 500 rather than 30 companies in the S&P 500 gives it a much better scope for what is going on in the overall economy in all these different industries. Right. So I think market cap weight is a much better approach. And just an example to illustrate, you know, even further is like if you have a Dow come on, if they if they have a stock split for some reason, all of a sudden they're weighted a lot less than the Dow for again an arbitrary reason. There's no real good reason. I mean, and companies split all the time. It's just kind of a thing that they do. So if they if they do that, it can adversely impact their weighting if they're a Dow component. So being in an index is like being in a club. Uh, the people that run it need to decide that they want you in it. And for this conversation that we're going to have about index inclusion, we're going to use the S&P 500 as our example because you and I think it's the most representative one. But you can really apply all, pretty much everything we're talking about to you know whether it's the Russell 2000, even the Dow. Um, so looking at the S&P 500, it is a collection of, or it's rather a collection that includes 500 of the largest, but not necessarily the 500 largest companies. And I think that's a very important point to make because there are requirements that exclude 500 of the largest U.S. companies out there. Right, and just a kind of a quick point I think is worth pointing out for our listeners is that. The S&P 500 is very specifically the, the benchmark that we measure our premium services against. Like that's the main benchmark that most of our services are, are, are competing, or you know, are trying to beat. So yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, I think, the best gauge. But. So if you're looking at what it takes to be in the club, um, it is a look at large companies. Um, and so market cap requirement is that companies need to have a market cap above 6.1 billion dollars. Um, only common stocks of U.S. companies are eligible, which means it must be a company that files a 10K annual report, uh, and its listing must be on an eligible U.S. exchange. It can't be a stock on the OTC or pink sheets. Um, something that is going to take a little bit of unpacking to explain is there are also requirements around organizational structure and share type. And so, it basically has to be common stock, which will include REITs, but the index will not include any kind of more advanced structures like business development corps and master limited partnerships. Those aren't really things we talk about too much on the tech show, but you hear a lot about them with energy and financials. Right, right. And then I think one of the most important ones is profitability. And so for inclusion, a company needs to be gap profitable in its most recent quarter and in some over the past four quarters, which is something that actually winds up excluding a lot of tech companies from possibly being included in the S&P 500. Um, there are some other requirements around trading volume and dollar value traded, but really what we talked about there, those are kind of the big ones. We're going to talk about one more on the back half of the show, and that'll get into a little bit more of a corporate governance thing. But Basically, the, the committee that makes these decisions will look at the list throughout the year, make adjustments based on eligibility, and also reweight based on market cap changes. You look at that list of requirements, I think the baseline is basically you need to be a big company, you need to be somewhat successful, and there needs to be access for investors, both in the information you provide and in the ability to actually buy shares. There needs to be liquidity for the stock. Right. I think that sums it up and like pretty nicely. It's just kind of these base requirements. Because you don't want these like penny stocks or stocks you never heard of or stocks that lose tons of money, and you know it's just kind of some base rules. And I think that I think that's a good way to you know starting point as a foundation for you know if you're looking for stocks that are meaningful to the U.S. economy. Right. They they shouldn't be these things that are being swung around wildly by day traders or you know might be kind of circling the drain. I mean, you want it to be 
kind of an accurate barometer, but at the same time, inclusion in the index is kind of a stamp of legitimacy, and you know they're not going to just give that out to anybody. Right. I think there is some prestige if you're included, particularly if you're one of the smaller companies, um, because yeah, then it, it's like, hey, at least I'm important enough to be rep- represented in this index. The latest company to join the S&P 500 index, shipbuilder Huntington Ingalls. I'm going to have to check with Sarah Priestley and make sure that I said that one correctly. Uh, the company was added in the beginning of 2018. And so, um, that is kind of a quick rundown on the index. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about what being in the index means for a stock and why new issuances are going to want to be careful with how they set up their share classes. Before we get over there, though, support for industry focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. So, Evan, the reason that we're talking about indices is because, frankly, there are a decent number of benefits to being an index constituent. Right. I think the the most meaningful one is that index funds are essentially required to go out and buy your stock, uh, which technically broadens your investor base. Um, And I think there are a couple other theoretical um, benefits or counterforces in terms of uh, volatility. So, for example, if you have an index fund that's buying a lot of your stock, they're just buying your stock and sitting on it. They're not buying and selling your stock actively, which on one hand should help reduce volatility. On the other hand, the supply of shares that's being freely traded in the market decreases because you have these funds just sitting on the shares, which can potentially amplify movements when investors are reacting you know, positively or negatively to events and news. So there's some kind of counter forces there, but I don't think there's a huge impact on a net basis that's really too meaningful for investors, but just some kind of mechanics uh, to consider. Then, yeah, as I mentioned before, yeah, there's a little bit of prestige of being like, hey, I'm part of the S&P 500. <laughs> yeah, I think it's helpful in understanding what goes into becoming uh, a constituent of an index just to kind of get an idea of who owns a stock, right? Like Twitter, because Twitter has not been gap profitable, um, does not qualify to be in the S&P 500 um, and, and has been excluded. And that means Whereas that Facebook, Facebook can. <laughs> yes, exactly. Facebook's been profitable, um, and, and they meet the other requirements, and so they have been. And so um, I'm sure that Twitter still has plenty of institutional ownership. The difference is Facebook has more or less required institutional ownership because any fund that's being offered that is intended to mirror the S and P 500 needs to own Facebook in order to do that. Right, and that's why you see these. You know, if if a stock is if it's announced that a stock is joining the S and P 500 or any index, typically you'll see a little bit of a pop, which is mostly some of those institutions just be like, okay, well, might as well just go and start <laughs> buying some of it just to get you know get ahead of get ahead of it and start building factoring into the, the index. And we talked before about how like a lot of these things are just kind of things you want to see in a good company. You know, the the kind of slap sticker on there of hey, you're in the you're in the index now. This is more just validating everything that was already going on there, right? Like it doesn't change anything about the business. It's more just you know you've been profitable, you're, you've met these requirements, and you're relevant enough to the economy that we're going to include you. Not something that's ever really core to an investing thesis, but helpful in understanding who owns these stocks and why they own them. Right. It's just kind of a sign of validation, sort of. One thing that I think is kind of important going forward, though, 
um, you know, much much like the the laws in the United States, um, the requirements for these indices are not set in stone. You know, they they kind of update with the times. And something that came up recently uh, in 2017 was this idea that corporate governance and share classes are, could play a larger role in whether or not uh, stocks are eligible for indices going forward. Right. I think it's a really important move because I think these index providers are increasingly starting to factor in corporate governance concerns into their methodologies, which really last year I think was done in response to Snap's IPO. And you know, we talked about Snap plenty last year. <laughs> so, so, you know, they don't give their public shareholders any votes. So um, the first one was FTSE Russell had a requirement in early 2017 that public shareholders need to collectively command at least 5% voting power, which is really like a ridiculously low hurdle to clear. Like 5% is not a lot to ask, right? Like to give your shareholders, your public shareholders, 5% voting power. But public SNAP investors have zero, so they fail that test. But it was just kind of this, you know, a meaningful move, but, but it's just, it's still a very low, um, low bar to clear. I mean, most companies are, are, are not even going to have an issue with that. So that's what makes it seem like it was really done in response to SNAP because it's very rare for any company to give 0% voting power to public investors. It's it's like almost unheard of. It's probably only a handful of companies that, that have ever tried it, and SNAP being the kind of the most prominent poster boy recently. And then a few months after that, S&P Dow Jones followed suit. And what they did was a little bit different, but they said that companies with multiple share classes are not eligible for inclusion in its most prominent indexes, including the S&P 500. And that's because multiple share class structures are almost universally implemented to the detriment of public shareholders because they usually have this super voting class for insiders. Um, you know, maybe they'll get 10 votes for 10 to 1 votes for insiders, which, you know, that certainly undermines corporate governance. And I mean, that's been, in, that's generally been an increasing trend. Like lots of companies have been doing this multiple share class thing. You know, I mean, Google's probably the biggest one that really started this, you know, back in the early 2000s. But then also, you know, more recently, Facebook's a good example. Um, but speaking of those two companies, uh, the S&P said that existing constituents like Google or Facebook that have multiple share classes are grandfathered in. So they're not affected. They're not going to get kicked out. Uh, but going forward, they're not going to add any stocks that have multiple share classes. So I think it's a much stronger message to companies than FTSE Russell's move, both because it's just stronger and it's more meaningful than this 5% hurdle, but also because the S&P 500 is a lot more important than, like, for example, the Russell 2000 or any other FTSE indexes. Like most things, it can be good to get grandfathered in based on an old policy. I'm sure uh, Alphabet and Facebook are pretty thrilled about that. Um, what I do like about this is it also demonstrates kind of the market forces at play and what might cause you know different company considerations. You know, were this not to be the case, I think you'd see a lot more companies down the road considering this type of issuance where they are issuing non-voting shares from the get-go at their IPO rather than doing it as a stock split type thing down the road. Um, it will be interesting to see over the next couple of years, particularly with all of these very large unicorns in the tech space probably going public at some point, what winds up happening there and if they decide to follow Snap's lead or if you know they decide it's more important to be possibly included for index inclusion down the road and um, issuing you know maybe one vote shares uh, as their you know uh, kind of baseline shares for their IPOs. Right. I think that's that's kind of I think what we're seeing is kind of this culmination of 
I feel like over the past decade or, you know, 10, 20 years, there's been this kind of slow, gradual deterioration of corporate governance. And the index providers are kind of like being like, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> like you guys have to stop this because, you know, it's just been this like very slow and subtle thing, but over time it's, it's quite meaningful. And it, it's nice to, that someone or like people, you know, organizations that can actually have an impact are, are starting to put their foot down and be like, Hey, you know, you guys need to treat your public investors better and give them more say. And hope maybe, I mean, I mean, the next thing itself is probably not alone enough to kind of turn the tide, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's a market force. Right. And especially, you know, when you have people that are so caught up in the idea of prestige, you know, we talked about how this is kind of this validating thing for a stock um, to not be included. Uh, might be something that <laughs> would rub management hypothetically the wrong way, and uh, it might get them to do some more shareholder-friendly things as they consider going public. Um, right. And I mean, Facebook. Facebook is worth pointing out too because last year they lost this big fight because you know Facebook was wanting to do another share class, a third share class with zero votes that was just going to hurt corporate governance even further <laughs> again. And you know, as he gives away his stock, he wanted to basically retain power. And you know, Facebook was sued. There's a class action lawsuit. Investors were just really not happy about this idea, and they finally dropped it as part of a settlement for this class action lawsuit. But it's just kind of another thing, like another example. Of these companies are continue to like expand and keep pushing deeper into this territory where they're undermining public investors, their opinions, and all this stuff. And that third share class was really going to be a bad was really going to be shareholder unfriendly. So it's a really good thing that they dropped it, but that was in response to a class action lawsuit as opposed to, you know, for example, an index provider that we're talking about. So good guy S&P coming to the rescue for the average <laughs> investor. Uh, Evan, anything else before we wrap up today on uh, the major indices or anything we talked about? I think we're good. All right. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If we sounded particularly good, give us a heads up because this is, like I said, this is our first time trying to shoot with this new style, and we're always trying to make things sound a little bit better when we have remote folks on the horn. Um, and if you have any questions, in addition to just reaching out and telling us how we sound, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind his glass and all his experimenting in the background to make us sound better. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.